This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 4, Episode 4, The Hornet Spooklight. The Hornet Spooklight is a mysterious light that appears in a small area known locally as the Devil's Promenade, on the border between southwestern Missouri and northeastern Oklahoma, west of the small town of Hornet, Missouri. Even though it is named after a small, unincorporated community in Missouri, from which it is most commonly reached, the light is most commonly described as being visible from inside the Oklahoma border, looking to the west. And as a result, the light goes by many names, including the Hollis Light and the Joplin Spook Light. The Spook Light is commonly described as a single ball of light, or a tight grouping of lights, that is said to appear in the area regularly, usually at night. Although the description of the light is similar to that of other visual phenomenon witnessed throughout the world, the term spook light, when standing alone, generally refers to this specific case. Numerous legends exist that attempt to describe the origin of the spook light, one of which involves the ghosts of two young Native American lovers looking for each other. According to most accounts, it has appeared continually since the late 19th century, and some date the first encounters with the light back to the Trail of Tears in the 1830s. However, the first documented sighting is generally accepted to have occurred in 1881, although some report sightings as far back as 1866. The earliest published report dates back to 1936 in the Kansas City Star, in 1946, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers studied the light, but could not find a cause for it. In their words, it was a, quote, mysterious light of unknown origin. Early residents of the area reported seeing lights in the forest, over their land, and even in their own yards. During the 1960s, there was a general store in Hornet that gave out information about the light to sightseers at their one-room Spook Light Museum. There have also been various establishments along the Missouri-Oklahoma state line that served a similar function, but these have since all closed. During the 1960s and 1970s, the roads where the spook light usually appears were often packed with parked vehicles and people hoping to get a glimpse of the mysterious light. Explanations for the light's appearance vary widely, from the extraordinary to the mundane. The area of Oklahoma in which the light is seen is very hilly and forested, and out to the west of where the light is seen lies Interstate 44. It has been suggested that the headlights of cars seen over the hills explain the light's appearance, which is sometimes said to bob up and down, dance, or even split into multiple globules of light. In William Least Heat's Moon's 2008 book, Road to Quaz, the author suggests that the light seen at the end of East 50 Street are explained perfectly by the fact that the road aligns directly with Route 66 across the interstate and the River Valley, some 10 miles distant. He also claims that earlier sightings of the light from East 40 Road, one mile to the north, are explained by an earlier alignment of Route 66 to the north of the town of Quapaw, Oklahoma. It also aligned with East Road 40. The author suggests that there are no reliable sightings of the light in any location, but directly west along the road and therefore explainable by the Route 66 connection. 
Robert Gannon, writing for Popular Mechanics magazine, also claims that the spook lights are headlights from Route 66. Citing a test in which he flashed his headlights on Route 66 at certain times, and the spook lights were reported to flash as well. Other explanations for the light's appearance include atmospheric gases being affected by electrical fields. A University of Arkansas professor studied the light in the 1960s and suggested that it was a form of a fixed object and not atmospheric gas or from vehicular traffic. In 2014, Professor Alan Rice, PhD of the University of Central Oklahoma, investigated the spook light with a team of investigators called the Boomers and claims to have discovered the source of the light as car headlights and taillights nine miles west of the viewing spot. He conducted an unscientific experiment with the Boomers and was able to recreate the light with the headlights of a car from the junction of East 50 and State Highway 137, located south of Quapaw. But what about the earlier encounters in the 1830s, those documented in the 1860s and 1880s? Were these witnesses seeing a fixed light or vehicular traffic headlights along a road that did not exist? The light has appeared seemingly as a ball of fire for almost 140 years, varying in size from a basketball to larger. It spins down the center of a gravel road at great speed, rises up high, bobs and weaves to the right and left. It appears to be a large lantern, but there is never anyone carrying it. No one has ever been injured by the light, but many claim to have been frightened by it while walking down this road at night. Sometimes it just seems to come from nowhere, and a few witnesses claim they have felt the heat from it as it passes close by them. Occasionally, some observer will even take a shot or two at the light, like Franklin Rossman, who lived near the Devil's Promenade for years. He twice attempted to shoot the light with a 30-30 rifle, but the shots had no effect whatsoever. He told an investigator to the site that he was unable to judge the distance of the light as it had such an odd look to it. There have been many theories that have attempted to explain why this mysterious light appears here. Originally, a number of legends sprung up around the place. One of them claimed the light was connected to the spirit of two young Indians who died in the area many years ago. Another claimed the light was the spirit of an Indian chief who had been beheaded on the Devil's Promenade and the light was said to be his torch as he searched for his missing head. Another legend tells of a miner whose children were kidnapped by Indians, and he set off looking for them only with a lantern to light his way. The light is said to be his lantern, as he continues looking for the children that he will never find. In the 1950s, Mr. Bayless set up a small refracting telescope on the platform of the new museum he had made, and was able to learn that what appeared to be a single light was actually composed of a number of smaller lights. Bayless stated that they moved very close together, weaving slightly, expanding, and contracting back and forth. It was goldish amber in color, and sometimes gained a reddish hint for a few moments at a time. Through the telescope, the edges of the light were observed to be like a flame, and that they were not uniform, and they were constantly changing. Bayless was fascinated with the many explanations of the light and was able to rule out almost all of the ones that had been proposed, including the theory that all of the sightings could be explained away as a refraction of auto headlights. 
In fact, Mr. Arthur Holbrook, a resident of the area and a man who had investigated the light many times, told Bayless that he had seen the light first in 1905. At that time, Holbrook explained there were only about a dozen automobiles in Joplin, the closest large town. He also added that there had been no highways at that period, and because of this, headlights could not have been an explanation of the sightings of the light. The few cars that were in existence in the area at that time did not travel about on remote dirt lanes that were best suited for horses, and any autos that would have, by a slim chance, were only fitted with oil and carbide lamps, which would not have been capable of creating the long, intense beams of modern headlights. To add even more credibility to his account, Holbrook was in the automotive profession and would have been very aware of the number of autos in the region in those days and the state of the roads and the highways. After conducting a number of interviews in the area, Bayless began to believe that it did exist in the 1800s. He did not feel that his own sighting of the light was comparable to auto headlights, but as it had been shown that some lights would appear on the road as refraction from the highway, he needed to gather as much evidence as possible to show the light predated automobiles. Mr. Holbrook had experienced his first sighting of the light in 1905 and had heard of the light several years before that. Bayless also interviewed Leslie Robertson, the curator of the Spookville Museum, who first saw the light in 1916 when he was just 14 years old. As a boy, he had seen it a thousand times. Mr. John Munig of Joplin first saw the light around 1928 and had heard of it for a number of years before that. He also wrote and said that, We have watched it at all hours of the night. Highway 66 has nothing to do with the light. It couldn't have, as it didn't exist when the light was first seen. Of that I am sure. Bayless also collected testimony from Mrs. Renee Waller of Joplin, who also said that she had seen the Hornet light before Route 66 was put in through Quapaw, Oklahoma. She stated that the original highway was a dirt road and was traveled infrequently. She had first seen the light in the late 1920s, when auto headlights would have been too seldom on the road to have created the effect of the light night after night after night after night. Mr. and Mrs. Ferguson of Joplin also stated they had been familiar with the Hornet light since 1910, and at the time they first saw it, they were told that the light had been seen along the Devil's Promenade for many years already. Their claims of the light's longevity were substantiated by Mr. J. Leonard, who in the early 1960s was a member of the Miami Indian tribe. He told Bayless that his parents had spoke of the light many times when he was a boy. He could personally remember seeing it for as long as he had been alive. He had been born in 1896. And according to these stories, the light had been in existence for several generations, or at least a hundred years. And another Native American from the area, Guy Jennison, recalled hearing about the light when he was a boy attending the Quapaw Mission School in 1892. By that time, it was a local topic of conversation, implying that reports of the light had been around for at least a few years. Jennison believed that, like Mr. Leonard, the light might have appeared several generations before, based on the Indian legends that had been suggested to explain its origin. Unfortunately, there were few Native Americans left who had knowledge of the dates when the stories originated. 
Even without the earliest dates though, Bayless was able to show that the Hornet light existed prior to the use of automobiles in the area. He did not dispute the idea that some sightings could be caused by headlights, but he did debunk the idea that headlights could be the only cause. What is the Hornet spook light then? Perhaps we can borrow the answer from the Army Corps of Engineers, who described it as a, quote, mysterious light of unknown origin. Hey guys, if you are looking for some great travel advice, check out www.experiencethis360.com. There are some amazing travel guides to cities such as San Diego, Memphis, and Phoenix, and locations like Italy and France, as well as exotic locations like India and Thailand. You can read the travel guides at experiencethis360.com or listen to them as a podcast. You can find the podcast on their website or at your favorite podcast directory like iTunes, Stitcher, or Player FM. There are also great travel articles and topics including how to fly to Europe super cheap or where to find the cheapest and best backpack for travel. Check it out at www.experiencethis360.com. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.